Can y'all hear me back there okay? Good? Okay. If you can't, just do this, and I'll talk louder. It's good to see everyone out tonight. I've really enjoyed this study on prayer. Jeremy done a very good job last week. And it's some good, good scripture. Tonight we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. I've read through this many times, but just specifically picking out some of the scriptures dealing with how Jesus teaches us how to pray, it gave me a greater respect for this part of the Bible. Part of me, if, if I knew someone was going to take this book from me and I had to pick out the scriptures to keep, I think the Sermon on the Mount 5, 6, and 7 would be the part of the Bible that I would keep. It has so much practical teachings from directly from Jesus. He covers so much, um, so many things in these three chapters. It, it is truly amazing. Um, but I think I would save this part of the scripture if I had to pick. Tonight we're going to start in chapter 5 and verse 38. We're going to read verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not risk Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and catch this, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now you have to remember too, that Jesus, we're going to back up and read some more scriptures here. There's a lot of folks here that are looking at Jesus when he goes through some of these scriptures and he brings a lot of things out that are, that are somewhat, they're not used to hearing. Um, for instance, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 and 22, he compares murder to anger as if they're almost equal. 
And then in Matthew 5, verse 25 and 26, he tells people to take care of their problems or their debt with your fellow man before it becomes a public or legal issue. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus compares the act of adultery and lusting as being the same. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30 he basically says, get rid of your stumbling blocks or anything that is between you and God. Matthew 5, verse 31 and 32, Jesus makes clear that the only reason that a man may divorce his wife, and he goes on to say that anyone who marries one who is not scripturally divorced also commits adultery. Then on down in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 and 37, he's telling us to follow through with your promises or your vows. Do not make promises you can't keep. Let your answers be clear. Let them be yes or no. Now, when we back up in chapter 5 and verses 17 through, through 20, you have to kind of put yourself in this, this time frame. Jesus is just beginning his ministry, and this is his first big public teaching of any length. And in verse 17 in chapter 5, it says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, can you imagine some of these Jews who are sitting there? And in the Old Testament, you know, they were allowed a written agreement of divorce. And now Jesus is telling them that even lusting after a woman is equal to adultery. And that if someone marries someone who's not scripturally divorced... They are living in adultery as well. Can you imagine what was going through some of these people's minds? They're, they're looking at Jesus like, wow, this is, this is different. But then he plainly explains that he is fulfilling the law, that he's not, this is not anything new, but he is fulfilling it. Now, in verse 44, where Jesus says, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I'm hoping this will create some good discussion. How many of us, that's the first thing we want to do when somebody wrongs us or persecutes us? What's the first thing we, as humans, what does our carnal side want to do? Okay, we want to see them suffer. What else? Get even, okay? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. 
What else? Get out of the way. Okay. You don't think about praying. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so then again, this is another thing that these people are looking at Jesus, going, "Really? You, you, this is what you expect from us?" But it's hard because that's that's not the first thing that 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 we want to do. Okay, we're going to move on. Any other comments? He did. That's exactly right. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, Peter was going to resort to violence. And uh, he said, no. That's, that's So, good point. All right. All right. All right, let's move on. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... And do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, do you notice he, he, he keeps repeating that, that the people who do this to be seen of men, that their reward is full. That's all they're going to get. And, in, and if you'll notice, too, where it talks about, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward who? You. The things that are done in secret, God knows the things we do in secret, there's no one else to see us but God. So I think it's very important that that we see that everything that the things that we do in secret are the things that that God sees and no one else. And God knows where your heart is when those things are done according to his will in secret. Russell? Well, something else, too. I'm sorry. Well, something else, too. When you think about um, the old law and all the sacrifices and the physical things that had to be done, all the, all the boxes, if you will, that had to be checked off daily at the tabernacle, you know, all the sacrifices, all the things, the particular things that had to go on, they were all kind of like... Uh, works, if you will. But you notice Jesus is turning all these uh, characteristics and things, these qualities, he's turning them inward to the Christian as it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a, a box that we check off or something that we do. You know, it's not a ritual, but it's more of an inward change in the person. Now, something I'd like to point out where it talks about 
Um, the things Jesus is talking about doing all this in secret. But then if you back up in verse um, in chapter 5, starting at verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, what are these people here thinking again? He just got through saying this earlier, and now he's saying all this stuff that we do in secret. Well, he keeps, like I said, he keeps pointing out to be seen of men, to be seen of yeah. men. And, and there's, a, there's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, let's move on. Now, like I said, in verse, in chapter six and verse two, when you give to the poor and do not do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Wrong motives and reasons here. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So there again, he's pointing out that you're, you're going to get a reward by keeping these things and doing them in the right perspective and not doing it to be seen of men. Matthew 6, and verse 5. And again, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray on the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen of men. Truly I say to you that you have, they have their reward in full, but when you pray and go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows that you need knows what you need before you ask him. So he's calling out the hypocrites, he's calling out the Gentiles. He's calling out a lot of folks who are doing things the wrong way. He's 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 pointing these folks out um, that they're doing they're doing all this stuff in the in the wrong in the wrong way. Now um, wrong way and the wrong reason. Um, well, let me ask some questions here, and let's just just create some thought. Jesus is pointing out to hypocrites and the Gentiles. Number one, public prayer. Is Jesus condemning public prayer? Okay. You know, there's a huge difference here. He's, he's condemning the hypocrites, the Gentiles, and he's telling us to go into our closet and pray. But it's all about the reasons we pray. Now, we're going, we're going to get into the public part of prayer here in just a minute. Okay, another question. Is Jesus condemning long prayers? Okay, There's a difference between long prayers and repetitive. All right? Well, he's talking about the Gentiles here, how they keep 
it's almost like they keep asking for the same thing, like God doesn't hear them. That, that to me, is disrespectful. God, and it plainly says God already knows what we need before we even ask him. I think it was Chuck last week brought out that, that God wants us to ask him. God wants us to petition him for the things we need. And we're going to see that as we get a little further in, into the uh, Jesus' prayer here. Um, another question is, should we pray at all? Should we pray at all, being as God already knows what we need? Right? But some could take that, that, well, God already knows what I want, so why, why, do, I, why do I pray? Right? Okay. Do we have to physically talk to pray? Do we have to physically be able to speak to pray? We've got several examples. Who was the first that we think we talked about it some last week? Hannah. Hannah. Who else? What happened to Zacharias? He doubted God. He wasn't able to speak until that prophecy was fulfilled. Do you think he didn't pray during that time? He probably prayed more. So there's another example of praying without making any noise with with your with your mouth. Who else? Hopefully everybody in this room. When we're driving, you know, when we're thinking, I Russell brought out the pray without ceasing. I think that's how we do pray without ceasing. Um, if we're mentally connected with God and thinking about and we're talking to him mentally, I think it helps us to keep our mind focused on where it needs to be. You know, when things come into our mind that shouldn't be there, what's a better way to get it out is to pray. I don't think so. I don't think so. But we're, going, we're going to get into that a little bit here in the prayer because Jesus talks about our daily bread. And daily, to me, means every day. You know, it's not just a, uh, a ritual now and then. It's a daily thing that we need to do. So I think that would be a daily thing. Right. Right. You're, you're, you're obviously not doing it to be seen by men. So you're, you care about those people. So no, I don't think there's not anything wrong with that. Okay. All right, we're going to move on. Verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for the transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. 
Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? Great. What else? Holy. Anyone else? Revered. Uh, Sacred. The original Latin for revere would be to fear. God himself is to be the most uniquely valued one in all the world of hallowed. Anyone else? How about respected? You know, revered reverence. You know, we, we show reverence to, to the God, the creator of the universe. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is very interesting here. Of course, obviously this is before the kingdom was actually established. Jesus hadn't went to the cross. He hadn't rose from the dead. And the church hadn't been established at this point. But I think one of the most important part of this is, and I think this is for any, any prayer that we pray, is your will be done. Because, because God sees the big picture. We cannot as humans, see how God sees things. We, we think we know what we want and what we need, but I, I think this goes back to the part to where, where it says God knows what, what we need before we ask. And I think there's things we need that we don't know to ask for because we're afraid that we might get it in a way. You know, how many times have you looked back 20 or 30 years and, and played out, well, what if this had happened? Well, what if this, this had went this way? What if, and you can see kind of, you can get a little better feel for maybe what God sees on a daily basis with all of us. He, he has that, that foresight. He, he knows, you know, if, if we get this or that, that it's going to change this or that. And then who, who knows where we'll end up? Russell? True. Right. Right. I've heard many people say that uh, I stopped praying for patience. Because sometimes uh, the way God will give us patience is through trial. <laughs> so... Sometimes we have to be careful, careful what we pray for, unless we for sure we're ready to face all that. Right. Right. Well, we've seen that with Zacharias. You know, he was in his 90s, and he'd probably been praying for 40 or 50 years, and he he still hadn't got. But it 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 finally happened, and then he didn't believe it. You know, so. Right. All right, so, okay. Anyone else? Okay, we're going to move on. Something else, too, here, where it talks about in verse 10, on earth, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, at this particular point, I think it was Kevin last week brought it out that this is God in the flesh, 
on earth praying to God the Father who is in heaven. So on earth as it is in heaven. And that's hard for me to grasp. I don't know about you, but when you when you think about that, that it's God in the flesh, he's here in these scriptures telling us how to talk to God the Father in heaven. That's some pretty pretty amazing stuff if you think about it. And to think that that he spent this much time in teaching all these people and all the particulars that he brings out that points to our personal life and our our personal inner change as a Christian versus what all was laid out in the old law. It's such a contrast. And then you look at the the actual the actual sacrifice that's eventually made is God in the flesh. I mean, that, to me, that's just, uh, it, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to take it in, and it's like, wow, that's just, it's neat. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. What is he saying there? We're, he's asking God, he's teaching us to pray this. What are we asking for there? Okay. Could it be spiritual food as well? Could it be either or? Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's another tough one. When you sit back and think, okay, people who wrong me are people that I've not forgiven. And I'm expecting God to forgive me for my wrongs. That's, that's hard for us to do, too. You know, if, the thing about forgiving, I think the hardest part is, is not the forgiving part, it's the forgetting. Because our brain keeps going back to that wrong, and it keeps pulling the scab off of the wound. But we have to, we have to learn to move on and let it heal and at the end of the day, you can, only, you can only control what you do. And God's telling us that here. It's the things that we do, that's the only things that we can control. We can set an example. We can try to show people. But at the end of the day, you're going to answer for what you do and how you treat other people after they wrong you. And I, I think that's one of the hardest things here that he's... Um, you know, back in that day, they were pretty violent. They were pretty violent. You know, we think we see violence today. I think they were pretty violent back then as well. You had to be for survival. Russell, you had you had a thought there. Mm-hmm. Very good point. All right, verse thirteen. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I've got three scriptures I would like to read, one right after the other, if I could get some volunteers. Um, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. And then the next scripture will be Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Okay, who's got Hebrews 2, verse 18? Okay, Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. Those three verses are three of my favorite. Um, it gives me hope and it gives me comfort that when I am tempted... All I got to do is look for that way of escape. And something to think about is that way of escape may be totally avoiding what each one of us knows tempts us. Don't put yourself in that room, if you will. You know that room is not where you need to be. That's part of that way of escape is our learning of what pulls us away and that goes back to where it talks about um, where it talks about if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out throw it from you it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell we all know the things that that pull us away If you don't, then seriously think about it because we all know what what draws us away. And sometimes it's it's back to we must avoid it. And then and I think that's back to what Jesus is telling us here is he's praying to lead us not into this temptation, but to deliver us. But we gotta do our part. We gotta do our part. God's not going to tempt you beyond where you can say no. And that's, that's one of the greatest tools that we have in our, in our tool bag is we know there's, there's a way to escape, there's a way to get around it. We don't have to be forced into sin. One of the, one of the treasures we have as Christians. We're just about out of time. Um, I'd like to read something here that I've got out of one, a book that I've been studying some about prayer. It's, uh, the author states this very well, better, much better than I could, I could write it. But he says, We must realize that since our knowledge of God's word will always be imperfect, our knowledge of his will concerning us and all mankind will always be imperfect. Therefore, Every prayer we offer should include an expression of our sincere desire that his will be done in all things and that our lives always conform to his will. It is not enough, however, that we desire his will be done. With his help, we must do our part in seeing that it is carried out. And that's James M. Tolley. Thought that was very well stated. Any more comments? We're just about out of time. Um, I encourage you to read read the Sermon on the Mount. It is just so full of just everyday living and practical teachings. 
directly from Jesus. It's a, it's a part of Scripture to be treasured. But, uh, that's all I have. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you Sunday, Lord willing.